I've spent a lot of my youth believing in my own hype and thinking that my talent was greater than my drive. And I've come to learn that the reverse is actually the truth, that the most driven people, not the most talented people, are the ones that drive ahead. At it once again, it is I, Rel, from the Rel and Friends podcast. Second week of January 2024. Still can't believe it. But how you feeling? For a lot of us, this is kind of the first week of the year. A lot of us are heading back to work after the long break. Time to clock back in. What's your mood like? Still motivated? Still thinking about those New Year's resolutions? Or did you give up already? Or has it been an extended vacation? Well, guess what? It's time to get to work. Welcome to Rel and Friends. As for me, it's been busy. I had a very interesting meeting today. Not much I could say except for it could be a potential podcast collaboration, maybe. Yeah, I had a meeting with a really well-known podcast. It's actually one of my favorite podcasts. They're looking for some video support, and me being a fan, I'm there. The ball's in their court. By next episode, I may be able to say something. We'll see. I don't know. But what I'm happy about is that it's only the second week of January, and the momentum is there. The 2024 momentum is here, and I'm going to ride it as long as I can. And speaking of riding, let's get into some news. Now, what I'm reading here in an interesting change of events, Figma will actually not be bought out by Adobe. I repeat, the creative giants Adobe will not be buying Figma. That's it. That's all I got. It's a slow news week, guys. But speaking of creative giants, we got my friend new york giant on the show today i'm very excited for you guys to hear this interview because he is a ux engineer he's a lead ux engineer that's user experience it's an area that i am kind of new to learning about but what i love about our conversation is that giant actually breaks down some solid numbers and those numbers are high, man. I did not know being a specialist in the UX space can make you some decent money. If you're a young creative looking for an avenue to get into and you enjoy, you know, user experience, user design, this may be a route you want to look into. So check out this interview. Karius, aka Giant, drops a whole lot of knowledge. And if you didn't know, he's also a DJ, very talented DJ. I uh, have been fortunate enough to do a few parties with him out here in New York. Always a great guy, always a good time. But yeah, amazing conversation. Check it out right now with the homie, New York Giant. What is your favorite rap line? Even though I'm from Brooklyn, I'm a big believer that there's a Jay-Z line for everything. <laughs> but uh, my favorite rap line is with Nas and he says, life's an itch, but God forbid the itch divorce me. And I just think that's like super pathetic and really just, you know, rolling with the punches and loving whatever it is that's happening in the moment. 
Word. Yeah, I dig that, man. Dope line, dope line. Life's a bitch, but God forbid the bitch divorce me. I like to start every podcast with a memory that I have with the folks I'm interviewing. I have a lot of memories working with you in my early days of my New York nightlife experience. You did a lot of designing for the promotion after yeah. hours to New York, New York. I did a party called Cuffin NYC, yeah. and you DJed that. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> at the end of the night, there was about to be a fight that was about to go down. <laughs> and you, you're called New York Giant for a reason because you're a big dude, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about to be the security and some drunk dude as usual. But you had stuff in your hand. And you just kind of walked in front of him. And you're just like, nah, this isn't happening. <laughs> and you just kind of like boxed him out and walked right out of the venue. <laughs> and that was so amazing to me because I'm just over here like, oh, shit, it's about to go down. And you're like, nah. <laughs> it's but that's so my regular. memory. <laughs> so that, that's hilarious i don't remember that at all but, um, <laughs> yeah yeah because it's so I regular will say like over the years in, in my dj career which is uh 20 plus years now i've definitely seen my fair share of stuff and sometimes you just use that physicality and just <laughs> get in the way and everything just goes down everybody just realizes they were tripping Word, word. i was very glad that you're on my team man <laughs> when i saw that for sure for sure <laughs> You're the only people walking around with the old linemen. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm prepared. Can you just go over briefly what your creative skill sets are? We know you're a DJ. You're a man of many talents. What creative things do you get down on? Oh, you know what I'm saying? man, it's ridiculous. Honestly, I am just that person that looks for the next creative connective tissue. So my base art skill is in the design space. Just as a graphic designer, been doing that since the mid nineties, actually. But I use that to then evolve into illustration. So just being able to mock up logos, any type of vector pieces. I also have coding skills. My freshman year, early part of college, I actually came into computer science. So I'm able to merge the creative with the analytic and that's fused what I do today. I would consider myself a creative technologist, somebody that is equally powered in design and technical. I also bring motion design into that space. I mean, I'm not as good as you, but I picked that stuff up over the pandemic and still also UX and web theory at the base layer, right? Just being able to work in the research spaces and take that information and bring up great layouts and components for clients. So it's a very wide and varied skill set. Yeah, we were using the term generalist earlier. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess you would be the definition of a generalist. And it's a term that I kind of heard in the last couple of years, really, and now more than ever, you have to be a generalist. You know what I mean? You, you got to yeah. at least pick up more than one skill set because the lines are getting really blurred. Oh, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is your visual and audio. So mm -hmm. just to rewind back, from your early days, you said you got into design in the mid nineties. When mm -hmm. did you get into DJing? Around the same time, honestly, everything came with my freedom from home. So I had these big aspirations and grew up in a traditionally conservative household and was being told that my time was being wasted and this just wasn't the way you should be going. But I knew this is, that was my sound. That was my signal. At the same time I got to college, I realized like they have computer labs that are open for 24 hours and this stuff is free. 
And I just started spending like overnights in the lab working on Photoshop. And at the same time, started building out a DJ career because that was something I always wanted to chase after. So I lied my way onto the student radio station and said that I had all this experience and I would practice live on air during my show. And then at some point it happened pretty quickly. And then I figured it out maybe in like three weeks. And then by the end of that semester, I started doing parties and that was it. I was gone. Wow. What college did you go to again? I went to Penn State. Penn State. Okay. So from the DJ side, I mean, I grew in such a culturally rich time. There were so many strong influences from Red Alert, Clark Kent, Chuck Chillos that came on 98.7. And then once Funk Flex hit the airwaves and Hot 97 turned into its earlier incarnation, and he was just pushing such a strong line of music and knowledge and style. This attitude just attracted me. I, I just couldn't go without it. I had the very distinct benefit of growing in such a culturally rich time, and especially in my neighborhood as well, with the huge reggae influence that we had that was just it. I just had to go in that direction. From a design standpoint, I've actually had the mind of a designer, but my hand skill wasn't that strong, right? So I grew up around talented graffiti artists and kids that were just top tier as far as visual craft. Once I got in front of a computer, that was the equalizer for me. So I could make good type and layouts and then just figured it out from there. So it's just been going, going, step after step after step. Mm -hmm. And getting that skill set up. Can you uh, kind of briefly go through your career breakdown, maybe on both sides first. Let's go with the design and like where that's led you, maybe some notable spots you've worked at, yeah. some projects or accolades. I've been freelancing on my own for maybe 10, 15 years prior. I came up in the mixtape era. So my base comes from that type of expression. It's bright, powerful color. It's a little bit of these kind of hyper visual spaces. And I just continued to build on that language. But I formalized my career in, in, in 2013, a decade ago. Notable stops on the way helped to launch Ciroc. I helped to launch Daily on Tequila. I was fortunate enough to be a part of the design team for Super Bowl 51, doing some typography work with the NFL. I worked with Foot Locker on a couple campaigns as far as actual retail space design. I've had the great benefit of merging traditional design with out of home and print and just really getting to understand each step in the design cycle. I consider myself very lucky. It's a thing that I didn't really like because I wanted to work at one place, but changing every three to four months at a high level helped me so much down the line. So I'm yeah. very thankful. Yeah, I stayed at one company for a long time. And when you do that, sometimes the promotions are few and far in between, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. when you transfer jobs, you can leverage that a little bit more and even like put a little extra on like, oh, I did this and I did this, even though if you like, you maybe not haven't done that, you know? <laughs> so you could go for those higher positions and it works sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I would encourage moving around, even though it's like it might not feel like the safe route. Like, I think that is a good way to, to broaden your experience and also climb up I, the ranks. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It was just survival for me. I didn't have much choice. Yeah. You're just trying to survive. One thing I will say is that I was very conscious of 
the brands I was getting aligned with because I was thinking down the line. So once I started in the liquor space, I started getting a lot of liquor offers and I declined them after I got my first big ones in the bag. And I actually moved over to skincare. So I did work with like Kiehl's and I was in the Vayner shop for a while and did some work with Dove. And that type of just range in the portfolio just opens me up to a broader audience as opposed to just like pigeonholing and becoming the liquor guy. That's a good move, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah, you don't want to be stuck in liquor. You know yeah. what I mean? So you were in a lot of cool spaces. So liquor, sports, and I guess Ciroc is really a hip hop space. And I know you worked in a lot of hip hop spaces. What are some challenges of having these cool jobs? What I've noticed is like, you might not be getting paid the same as some big corporate company, or you might be working long hours. Did you experience any kind of challenges in those spaces? Oh, yeah. I've gone through every single hurt that you can as a designer. I've had the what I thought was the benefit of being a team leader until one day I have to of my reports timesheet and realize that he's getting paid more than I am. Mm. So that's crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when we start talking about the things that you have to know down the line, like negotiate, man. You know, I've listened to earlier conversations and that fear of negotiation is certainly real. You don't want to rock the boat, right? You just want to keep it moving. But I've been taking advantage of it that way. I've worked <laughs> I've worked 24 hours, like literally yeah. Yeah. a, a 24-hour cycle. You know, just to meet like a launch or something like that? Just Yeah, just, just for a pitch, right? On business that didn't even land. <sighs> There's a story that I'll tell down the line, but improper titling at the time of hire that ends up getting used against you down uh, the line. Like they hired you at one title and they gave you a different title when you were on? Yeah, they hire you at one title, then they bring you in at a higher title, but they don't up the salary, but they up the workload and you don't even realize what's happening. But with experience, you start to be able to pivot quickly and spot all of the, the trouble far away. So I'm a far smarter and more seasoned designer now. You, you just gotta take those lumps, it's fine. It's every industry, right? Yeah, I've dealt with a lot of that. You're going to have to take those. They're not even L's. They're growing pains. Mm -hmm. But you do reach a point where you can't do that anymore, man. Like, we got families. You know what I mean? And and we are at a point where we're seasoned. We can't be doing stuff like that anymore. And that's what encouraged me to launch this podcast because I know a lot of creatives that still work like that, man. It's just not sustainable, you know? It's going to drive you crazy. So going back to the DJ side, what are some notable accomplishments on the DJ side that you can list? Last time I caught up with you was during the pandemic and you were launching yeah. your own sound system. So yeah, yeah I want to hear about all that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, notable things, you know, I've had a strong career, but I wouldn't say that it's one of those ones that kind of brim out with these things. But I would say getting selected to Red Bull 3 Style, which was a national competition that was pulling in the strongest DJs from the nation. I got nominated to that in 2011, I believe. So that was definitely a huge high for me. Being able to travel the world and DJ overseas. I had the great benefit of playing in the Philippines, which was probably one of the most memorable sets of my career, like to touch different water and meet different people and really experience a type of adoration that doesn't happen here in the States, right? Because everybody's loaded with media. Everybody's too cool. But you can really connect with people overseas. Um, yeah, for sure. They still appreciate the culture. Man. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's not, not taken for granted, you know? It's not at all. It almost mm-hmm. feels like, you know, here back like in the early 90s where 
there was just much more of a communal presence. Like that's what it feels like overseas. So I, I love getting on, on the road if I can. But yeah, those are probably two of the strongest. And even just rebuilding a legacy here in New York City, I'd say something I actually was very scared of returning to New York City thinking I wasn't going to be able to compete with the DJs. And I have a very sound, flourishing career in the city now still. So that's probably a notable achievement for me yeah, as well. Yeah, I could definitely understand that, man. Like when I was in the Bay Area, I had a cool little name for myself. And then moving to New York, it's like starting all over, man. And then like you have competition very talented competition that are native to New York, but then you got all the best talent from other cities moving yeah. into New York as well. You right. know? So you're competing and it really is like starting all over again. And that was a hard adjustment for me, but I feel good now, man. I'm, I yeah. feel like I got, oh, I got my you, name out set. there. <laughs> I think, you know, one of the bigger things also is starting over after you've had some semblance of success. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is really the tough part, right? It's hard. To look at yourself and have those references and question whether or not you're good enough. But the bigger skill and the more important thing is reinventing yourself and staying afloat, right? I think legacy and longevity are the key skills in, in any creative um, cycle. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I got to take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, post-production, post very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative send them my way i promise you'll be the hero you'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones hit me up rel.mov on ig chances are i have a video that you need already let's talk it through all right, back to the program. So let me hop into the first segment called For the Love of Money. So For the Love of Money is a segment that I hope to help encourage transparency around money talk for creative professionals. I want us to really build financial growth and avoid being taken advantage of. Let me ask you this specific question. As a generalist, as a man of many talents from audio, visual, UX design, we didn't even talk too much about your UX design stuff. What, in your experience, pays the most? What pays the bills the most for you? Definitely right now, UX is such a hot topic. And especially if you bring complementing interests. So I have been seeing a lot of people that are looking for UX designers that can code or UX designers that may have motion or UX designers that have a complementary skill set. Those are the stronger pieces right now where I've essentially been able to double my salary. Just very quickly, I really appreciate you starting this podcast, especially this conversation, because you just feel so dumb walking in this abyss of space. You don't know what to charge. And, and I've gotten taken advantage of so many times as a result. But let's level the playing field, right? Let's help the creatives out there start talking numbers. So if we're talking about UX spaces, if you are starting out, you're looking anywhere from let's say a 45 to $65 an hour range. That, that depends on budget. 
as you get better, you're looking at the mid-level tier, you add another 10, you're looking at the $75 range. The best, the creme de la creme, they can push from 85 all the way up to 125, 150, sometimes 200 if, if you're that good. And is this freelance numbers that you're talking about yeah. or is this like, okay, okay. And then what about in a corporate space? Did you know any of those, like the yearly salaries? I guess you could do the math, but. Yeah. Well, sometimes it doesn't really level out, but once again, location and remote versus all of that yeah. stuff. But at the lower end, I think you are, let's say in the sub 120 space. Okay. Pushing a little stronger you're pushing, you know, 125 to let's say 165 mid-tier. And then once you start to lead teams and ship very robust products, you're looking at 175 plus. Damn, um, okay. Yeah. Wow, UX so, pays well. I had no idea. I mean, does. it makes sense. It, it does. makes sense it and does. it's very well deserved. You're building the infrastructure for the face of the company. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And building out a user experience which is everything for your user base. So that yeah, that has to be right and it has to be user friendly. Yeah, that's dope to see that those are the numbers. Staying on this topic, out of all your creative endeavors, what pays the least in your experience? Unfortunately, which is very sad, I think just standard graphic design at, at this point now. I look at a lot of the spaces I occupy and they still are doing that, right? They're pulling people in for 30 to 35 bucks an hour and those people are usually tasked with some really hard creation and ideation and they deserve more when we spoke about negotiating and me managing someone that made more money than me one of the things that i would encourage is when you're going back and forth with uh freelance agencies and creative agencies push back don't just take the rate that they have because they're getting paid the same amount that you are right and that's the thing that we don't know we think that the posting pays $40 and that's it. No, the consultant is paying $80 and you are getting 40. So how about you push and get 50 and the agency get 30 or continue to wave that bar back and forth? Yeah, 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 yeah. So negotiating. Yeah, this is dope because early on, like I was just grateful to get a job. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a yeah. lot of times, like you said, you don't know the starting point. Thank you for throwing out those numbers because it mm -hmm. gives people at least like a general range of what to go for. You know yeah. what I mean? And I would also say be mindful of the company that you're applying for because some companies will offer less and some will offer a lot more depending on what company they are. In your experience, which companies have those flexible budgets and in which outlets just don't? Like wh which ones are you willing to take a little less for? And then which ones are you like, no, I'm going for that high number? As a contractor, I usually look at what the work will end up doing for my portfolio, number one. And then I also look at the impact of the work. Well, first of all, the rules have kind of been rewritten post pandemic because of the new economy. You have this AI conversation coming in. So a lot of value has been reshaped. So I'll, I'll start off by saying that, but if we are looking at the spaces moving forward, I think that startups tend to have a little more yeah. to pay. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's the wild west in there, but you're going to have the challenges, right? You're going to have to earn that money because a lot of times you're going to be doing work that doesn't have frameworks or process set up. Right. Or sometimes you will be working without management. 
<laughs> you know, and the decision making isn't very clear. It can be very abstract, which can end up being very frustrating. The ideation processes get kind of weird, but you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of dealing uh, with that right now, to be honest, yeah. man. A startup that's like probably my best check ever, but it's right. kind of all over the place, man. <laughs> yeah. And I've had those experiences and varied results. I'm realizing that um, I certainly like Gates. I like check-ins. I like process. I like all that stuff. Just because it moves in concert and it keeps everybody on the same lane of accountability. So I'm, I'm there. But um, once that pay the least are the people that know that you're replaceable, right? They can just churn people out and run and do stuff like that. So for example, the NFL gig I took, that is something that can always be a conversation piece, right? It's, it's America's most watched sporting event. That name will carry on and it just makes advertising yourself as an asset a lot easier. So you, I'll be willing to take a short on that job versus the random gig that doesn't have that much conversational strength where you have to go well yeah they did this and they did this and uh okay yeah yeah whatever kid you know <laughs> so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's kind of how i've run so those are the resume builders the notable brands you might take a little bit less right yeah and i notice a lot of those sought after ones like you kind of have to work in that way because if you don't do it they'll just hire someone else like they, they can will. find someone easy for those jobs so you got it yeah those are the ones you kind of got to get taken advantage of just to build the resume. But like I said, when we get to the senior level, there's no more of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> maybe Can't a few, that. maybe a few, but not a lot. Can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've been able to navigate the corporate space very well, both being part of the staff and then also being an independent contractor. Yeah. The corporate versus independent question. There are distinct advantages to both. The corporate side, you get to learn about process and all of the things that they do to make themselves go. You know, jumping around as a freelancer, you get to learn so many different things from even ways to shape file storage and name files, you know, name it conventions, or there are so many different processes that you can just cherry pick the best of what you've seen and start to make your own kind of framework. So you go in there, you build with people, you find your tribe, but on the independent side, I mean, that's where you get to be max creative. You can really get out of that standard. This is the way we always do it. You can push new color palettes and new fonts and new technologies versus this kind of, uh, you know, just, just, hey, slow down. We have to get somebody to sign off on that. And you have people that just aren't passionate about the work when you know that this is it. And because it doesn't look like what they've seen or it can make them not look like they're working, it'll get shot. I always say that like my greatest work lay on on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. No question. Yeah. And that's why we have things like director's cuts and stuff like that, because then yeah. you can let your true vision out there. <laughs> I think it might be harder with design because it's like, yeah, my version was three revisions ago. But yeah, that's part of compromise. And that's just a part of working for a company. It's like yeah. you're building out their vision as opposed to yours. And I like what you said about on the independent side, I think people are really leaning more on your expertise as opposed to like an overall company goal. Yeah. Yeah. No question. That's dope. And I didn't really think about that. But now that I'm full-time independent, I see that a lot and it's pretty cool to be able to see your own vision almost all the way through. You know, I've been having fun watching you become a grown up right and, on, and, and launch your <laughs> agency and it's been inspiring, right? Because Thank you, man. I think one of the things that I've always done is know that I could fall back into a corporate space. So 
I treated my practice like it was more of like a side hustle and never really gave myself the greatest shot at standing up and producing and doing that. But over the last 18 months, I've really taken a different approach and really realized like with the shift from the pandemic, there are people that are looking for um, agency level creative without the same budget, but they've worked in the spaces and understand what it looks like. And they're also looking for a subject matter expert to help them navigate and make decisions that are clear. And um, they're looking for partnerships. So realizing that that's what I've just strengthened my spaces and I've gone back to school. I've taken a ton of coaching and I'm able to now offer a suite of tools to basically extend myself as an art department for whatever practices I come in contact with, which is really fun. Let's jump into this segment called Scope Creeps. A scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectations or deliverables increase over time without any conversation about money or time compensation. Can you give me one of your scope creep stories? Oh yeah, that job I was telling you about before. So I got hired in as a designer, but then as soon as I signed on, I was brought in as a senior. My salary didn't go up. And I had senior expectations, which essentially then turned into art director expectations, which essentially then turned into integrated designer expectations where I'm now bridging the gap between design and tech and like literally leading that roadmap. And my salary went up like nothing. It went up like 500 bucks per year, like big slap in the face. And, you know, my work and my thinking is extending the department's revenue access. I'm bringing in six-figure contracts because of the work I'm doing and my salary isn't changing. So that's some scope creep for you. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's like a scope creep on your life, basically, because <laughs> it's not just one project. It's your no. nine to five, you know? <laughs> it was a straight up mugging. But if you stay smart and I realized what was happening, I went to NYU and did the work. I was able to navigate that during work and I ended up doubling my salary once I left there. Dope. You took that and went somewhere else. Yeah. I took all okay. of that and just, you know, saw what was happening and strengthened my skill set and did what I had to do. So the good guys always win. Cool. That's what's up, man. I'm glad to hear that. Let's talk about some victories. What are some career victories? What are some professional victories that you can speak on? Professionally, I think just staying with the time and not allowing the this is who i am to define me i run with the young bucks man i'm still learning i'm still growing and evolving and just continually adding on to my skill set i i am so damn curious and i'm here trying to figure out like how typescript can enhance the work that i design in different ways to present work online so I would just say being able to evolve, right? I first set on a computer in the early, in the mid eighties, actually on Windows 3.1. And I've come all the way from floppy disk to still be here in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> still, Crazy. still making it happen, man. But, you know, just being able to read marketplaces and adapt and grow and be able to take advantage of different things. So the point where... I've merged my skills and, and jumped over from like that graphic design side, that commercial, let's sell you something side over to a very 
chill healthcare side and start to influence that world. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, the, the evolution, I would say, is the big win for me. What keeps you sharp in the design game? Like, What keeps you motivated? What do you do for fun and to keep you growing in that space? I'm a big believer that if you are some sort of creative, you should always have like additional creative challenges that are stretching your brain. So for me, for example, is trying to learn the piano and just working on that stuff. And then also recently I've started painting just to oh, try and work on that, right? And mm. the work is horrible. It's ugly. It doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> That's how but it just, always starts, man. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, figuring yeah. out mechanics and angles and all of that stuff, it just serves to make you a better designer. So that's how I stay sharp, definitely, is just taking on different challenges outside of what I do on the day-to-day. -day. Man, you are a true generalist, man. You're even <laughs> yeah, painting. no question. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. So, okay, so I'll speak on my experience. So I was a beat maker. Yes. I made a lot of beats. You remember that. And then my strength with visual is really editing. Like, that's where I shine. I attribute a lot of my skill set of editing to my beat making background do your dj and musical background and then your visual do you find them meshing do you think one complements the other in the work you do no question at the end of the day right if you think about what i do they've played out in terms of djing and being a designer but my true skill set is being an observer so i'm always looking at things and noticing things or references that other people don't and my other skill set is that I'm an empath. I always am able to find common ground with people and have this understanding. So if you're observing and understanding as well, that is going to play into musical selection. It's going to play into the color palette or the way that you're delivering this work. Those are definitely the real tools that I've used to communicate with the world and help people in both spaces where we're we're still human beings and we all seek that connection. That's dope. That's dope. I never heard it like that. So you said that you're an empath and then and an observer. Yeah. That's, I'm that's an observer. Ill, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's ill. So if you like what you heard, if you're seeing some value, if you're getting some inspiration, if you could just do me a favor, go over to their podcast platform and rate us five stars leave a little comment let folks know how much you like the podcast because then you'll help us get into other people's homes ears wavelengths brains and we'll spread the gospel all right thanks a lot y'all peace i'm gonna just hit you with some kind of like rapid fire questions now so you kind of touched on the corporate versus independent but major versus independent anything else you want to touch up on that major is the perceived safety and the access to people and networking. And I would say that I haven't done the best job at like really keeping up with my corporate friendships because I had this kind of like a New Yorker attitude, like we get it done or whatever, but just connecting with people over time, checking in, what are you working on? How are things going? You just never know where that conversation could go. But independent, man, I think that especially now as you gain in confidence and understanding the importance of radiating who you are, right? Like no one else is you and that's your superpower. Really being able to put your sauce out to the world is an amazing problem to have, I think, right? Like, like you get to really define and choose your course and 
Um, you know, I'm watching you right now with AOS. I think that's such an ill name. And, you know, for you to be independent, like this is where the real you will come out because you're not tethered down by these dusty books that tell you what to do. You get to charge that. So I will still say independent, always believe in yourself, believe in your sauce. Word, word. I feel that. Okay. What does the next five years look like to you? Five years. So I think it's still going to be laden with curiosity. I've uh, recently jumped back into school to finish up my undergraduate degree that I left a very long time ago. So I think, um, you know, pushing that forward and leveraging what I'm learning this year, which will be in the marketing space. I've taken a new role on that is going to be in product marketing. Now, instead of being the maker, I get to be the marketer, but I've had the distinct advantage of being the maker. So I get to just convey a different type of conversation. And I also don't have to rely on hiring a designer, right? I've been an art director for 15 years now. Word. Okay. So if you could say anything to the young you, what would it be? Don't listen to the noise. Just stay even keeled. I've spent a lot of my youth believing in my own hype and thinking that my talent was greater than my drive. And I've come to learn that the reverse is actually the truth, that the most driven people, not the most talented people, are the ones that drive ahead. So head down and don't listen to the noise, right? Booze and class are still noise and you just got to keep pushing. And just being present and living in the moment, I think that really extracting what it is that you're doing and just really applying yourself. If you get ahead early and really stick to your craft early on, your exponential growth and compound growth over time will just put you in different places. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. Just, that's, those are the, the two main things. Just keep adding and don't listen to anybody and you'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. Dope, dope. Those are some bars right there, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so AI, do you fear it or do you use it? You know, AI has been around for a very long time, but it's just become this big conversation suddenly. And now I'm kind of rolling my eyes because everybody is putting AI on their packaging. And it's just like, man, these are predictive models that have been in use since for the last 20 years. AI has always been around. It's not something that just came out. It's just been accessible by consumers, I guess. But I think a little bit of both, right? I think it's really cool to do the grunt work or the base work to get things started from ideation, but you still have to know your stuff. And this is where I think a lot of people get lost is that thinking that you can become an expert by pressing a button and in five minutes getting this website built for you. And your website's not gonna convert. It's gonna be not good. A lot of that stuff still needs to be refined. So I wouldn't say it's that strong, but I will say that I've been able to take advantage of some really cool things like information architecture at the base of a website, right? Instead of me having to lay all that stuff out, I can just type in the eight types of fields that I'm looking to build on the website and then it'll bring out that taxonomy for me within maybe five minutes. I'm still going to then take that stuff, refine it and build copy and strategy from there. But to get things off of the ground, it's amazing. So it's a little yeah. of both. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, this is the first time I've heard someone else say that, but that's exactly how I use AI. It's a lot of times with creative work, the hardest part is getting started. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so th this is a way where it, it's your assistant. Like, just start it and then I'll tweak it from there and I'll, I'll yep. put my sauce on it and, and finish it. You know what I mean? So you still have that's the way to know to your AI. stuff. You still have to still know your stuff. Still got to use yourself. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Still got to be talented. 
Okay. Any resources or any kind of information that you soaked up that you would want to pass down to anyone? Big thing is that number one, I want to stress the power of reading, right? Everybody is always looking for a way to level up and do this. And I've learned that it's not about who's smart and who's not. It's about who, who reads and who doesn't. So I'm just going to push the power of reading. But if I have to share resources, I would say for anybody interested in UX or UX design, look up Vitaly Friedman on LinkedIn. He works in the smashing ecosystem. They have like books and magazines and stuff, and he's really good. And then there's another guy named Paul Boag. He's based out of the UK and he has an amazing or ran an amazing podcast, but always puts out like little bits of educational content out there. And he's just so smart and good at what he does. You could also look up Dan Mall, which is a guy that teaches design systems. So these one time for all my UX people, I'm glad that we get to shake up the video guys a little bit. <laughs> and then from a graphic designer, just general design sense, I would say look up the future with Chris Doe. That stuff is pretty popular now, but I learned a ton of game from him on as a free client and as a pay client. And he has a bunch of resources out there just for creators in general, contracts and frameworks that you can add into your practice that will make you a better practitioner immediately. Dope, dope. You said as a free client, as, as a paid client, did you pay yeah. for services? Okay. I what? paid, well, I paid for his products. So oh, got it. Um, okay. there's, there's a ton of kits and stuff that he puts out there. And I've certainly been able to use that to increase my billable work to clients. Dope. dope, so, dope. Yeah. Definitely yeah. take advantage of those resources. I got to look into that because th those are some resources. And Christo's name actually comes up a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, I think oh, he's a third person. Godsend. Yeah. Godsend. Dude. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was such a need in the space when he came around and mm -hmm. his rise in popularity is well-deserved. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Someday I'm going to meet him and then I'll get him on the podcast. Yeah. He's, he has to I be my friend out, first though. He's out your way. He's actually out your oh, way. Okay, 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 okay. I got to connect. got to connect. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about your work. Where can we look at it? Where can the listeners see your stuff? So right now I would say that my main portfolio is, my name is Karis. So if you look up Karistotle, K-A-R-I-S-T-O-T-L-E.com. You can see a bunch of the work that I've done over the years from retail spaces to branding to just out of home ads. This is more like my small museum. You know, they say that your portfolio should be about the work that you want to do. But right now I'm just displaying just my stronger stuff to just show once again, my strength as a generalist and the variance in, in skill. Dope, dope. Okay. And so you've been dropping gems the whole show, but we like to end the segment with one called Drop a Gem on Them. Once again, Karis, aka New York Giant, if you could drop <laughs> any gem on any young generalist in the game, what would it be? Believe in the power of compounding. One thing that's helped me a ton is dedicating at least 90 minutes every day to either reading or looking on YouTube for relevant content. And you would be surprised at the changing conversation that's been happening. There have been times where I'm just like in interviews and they ask questions and I don't know what's going on. And as I started to pay attention to this new content, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that, 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 that. And it's just made me so much sharper when I'm approaching conversations. So the power of compounding and always doing the same things all the time, like read every single day, just commit to it. And six months, a year, two years, you will mm -hmm. be out of here.
Yep, yep. Well said, man. In this field that we chose, we chose to be creatives, but with that, you have to constantly be learning, constantly be curious, or yeah. else you're going to phase out and hit the bottom of the barrel, man. Yep. So you got to stay sharp. Stay so. sharp. Stay ready. All stay right. dangerous. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Word up. All right. Thank you, Giant. Appreciate it, man. Likewise. Pleasure to be here. And uh, like I said, thank you so much for creating this space. I'm here every single week learning and growing with all of the community. So dope. Good dope. to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. All right. That's it. Peace, man. Peace. And that, my friends, is it. That is the interview with my good friend, the New York Giant. What I love about this podcast is that one, I get to catch up with friends, and two, I learn about these accomplishments, man. These are, these are people that I've known for a really long time and my memory stops at a certain point and it's usually at a party. That's usually the last memory I have of people. So it's nice to circle back and get a little bit more professional. Not that partying's not professional. We are professional partiers too. We get busy on that note. We'll catch you guys next week. Appreciate y'all very much. Hit the voicemail. Hit the email. Hit the DMs. All right, y'all. Peace.